Have you ever wondered what would happen if you gave a marketer a jetpack and a creative a hammock? That's exactly what we're digging into today, specifically self-service automation, a valuable and perhaps needed or must-have part of every team's creative ops stack, allowing marketers to ramp up their go-to-market velocity at the same time freeing creatives from the repetitive paint-by-numbers task demanded by the always-growing hunger of the content and marketing machine. This allows creators to slow down, engage their big, beautiful creative brains, and focus on what they do best, being brilliantly creative. Welcome to the Creative Ops Podcast. I'm so grateful that you've joined me yet again as I continue my journey of curiosity of all things creative operations. Today, I'm joined by Mark Brady, the head of creative solutions at HubSpot. Mark's got a super interesting background in operations, leading and coaching teams, a lot of strategy work, leading transformation projects throughout his career. He, like me, is also a bit of a data nerd, and he's also got a background in engineering and building products. It gave him the ideal mix of experiences and expertise over time so that as HubSpot has grown exponentially in the last few years, he was the person they turned to and tapped to lead the mission to figure out how do we scale content and go to market velocity, reducing bottlenecks, smoothing out capacity issues, and being able to turn more of those requests from no's into yeses, and at the same time, free up, or maybe that save the creatives from burnout and boring work. And the answer was self-service automation that Mark and his team came up with. We start this episode with the discussion on how this is a different type of automation. I know that across the creative operations community, most leaders want to be able to leverage the power of automation to benefit scale and speed. But very often they get stopped dead in their tracks. They get stymied by, I don't know how to code. I can spell API, but I really don't know what to do with an API. And I don't really have the background and the language and the vocabulary to talk to the nerds that do. But don't let that trip you up. This is a different breed of automation. This is really about more configuration, especially in version one of self-service automation, where it could be as simple as configuring easy to use off the shelf software like Canva or Brandfolder to deliver self-service capabilities out to your clients across the organization, most especially in marketing, to feed that marketing and content beast. Over time, Mark and his team has certainly developed a much more sophisticated set of self-service automation capabilities, but we should all be thinking about self-service automation and version one being very easy and accessible to start with. And what comes out of this automation? Marketers can start their morning with their latte in hand. And before they're done their first sip, maybe they have an idea for a webinar or a social campaign, a landing page tied to a one-time or time-based email campaign. And before they're halfway through that venti, they could get it out the door with the power and benefit of self-service tools. And it's all on brand, which allows marketers to move just not at speed, but with confidence that everything is on brand. And for the creative team, they're no longer inundated with this never ending stream of rote work. They can get some of their time back to focus on big thing creative. Talk about having your cake and eating it too. Both marketers and creatives benefit from self-service automation. Through this episode with Mark, we get into a lot of other topics. How to use data to know what to automate, how what they've built isn't just valuable for marketing, but the entire organization. I think we're seeing across the creative operations world today that everybody in the organization wants and needs content. It's marketing, it's the sales team, it's customer success. It's absolutely everything. And throughout this episode, one of the ideas I was thinking of that we don't really get into, but just an idea that's sort of circling around is, I wonder if creative operations is going to have to start thinking and operating more like a horizontal function because of that appetite for content right across the entire organization. 
and the role that self-service automation can play in enabling that. And I think it's going to be part of that journey of creative operations continue to transition from tactical to strategic. And certainly at HubSpot, it's a strategic function. I think self-service automation is going to be a critical and I think a must-have Lego block in the creative ops stack as we all move forward. And part of what we need to fulfill is that need for scale, that need for speed for that content and marketing machine with that never-ending appetite. We get into a lot of things today, as I mentioned, but as you're listening to this, if you've got questions on the what, how, and why of self-service automation, even if you're not really sure, okay, this isn't really about code or APIs, but I'm still not sure how to start. I'm still stuck here at the starting line. Drop me a line, nish at creativeops.fm. I'm happy to jump on a Zoom call with you and talk through it with you. Mark is going to be back for a future episode, so your questions, we can dig into them then as well. But for now, tune in as we listen to Mark take us through his and HubSpot's journey of self-service automation, the benefits that they've achieved, what they've learned along the way, and what is next as this critical Lego block of HubSpot's creative ops stack allows them to turn up the dial on their content and marketing velocity and free up creatives to work on blank sheet problems and opportunities. Mark. Welcome to the Creative Ops Podcast. We'll start with the question that we always start with. What is your definition of what creative operations is? Hey, Nish, thanks for having me. I, I love this question, and I've, I've thought about it a lot, and I'm, I'm a person who likes to simplify things as much as possible. And I think for me, creative operations is streamlining the journey into delivering remarkable creative outcomes. And although that might sound simple, there, there's quite a lot to unpack there. I'm sure you've heard the proverb of it takes a village to raise a child. And I think sometimes it can take a village to raise or, or build creative campaigns. When you think about what's involved in creative, you have creative campaigns, you have, you have strategy, you have platforms, you have tooling, you have budgets, you have vendors. There's, there's quite a lot sometimes involved in creating creative. And I think that's the genesis and, and the value that creative operations can bring. It can really remove all that obscurity or remove the operational burden to allow stakeholders to do what they do best. And I think a really good analogy to think about here is, let's say Nish, you, you broke your leg and I give you two options. You can call your doctor or you can call your accountant. Who are you going to call? You got to call your, your doctor, right? Because that's their, that's what their craft, that's what they've worked on building. And it's the same for creators, like creatives create let them do what, what they do best, and that's to create amazing outcomes and don't get them involved or don't pull them into areas that's not in their immediate domain, such as all the operational elements like vendor management, asset delivery, things like that. I, I love that definition and it's echoing a lot of what I've been hearing from other creative operations leaders that I've been speaking to through the first few episodes of the podcast. And it's really what I'm pulling out there is our job is to remove the friction, as Paul Nicholson said, or remove the debris and allow people to focus on what they're doing or what they can do best. Let them do their jobs, which is a good segue into today's topic. And, and our focus today is going to be on automation, but a specific type of automation. Creative operations teams and leaders have long wanted to, and some have, leveraged the power of automation but I think it's been elusive for a lot of them because I think automation has always been assumed to be something that is highly technical where you need to understand APIs and coding and programming. And I need to bring in a battalion of nerds or I need to be a programming nerd myself to realize the benefits of automation so that we can move faster and increase scale. But the type of automation we're going to be talking about today that you're and your team at HubSpot have been focused on is self-service automation. So this isn't about APIs. This isn't about code. This is something that anybody that is listening that is a creative operations leader or on a team can, it's accessible to them. So why don't we start with, why don't you tell us like, what's your definition of self-service automation and the way it manifests itself at, at HubSpot. And we'll go from there because I want to really peel away the layers of the onion. You've got a really compelling tool set that you've built internally that has been so valuable to your marketing team 
and really syncs back with your definition of let us build tooling to get out of the way of people being able to do what they want to do. I guess maybe to set the stage a bit of how I think about it and just to go like back in history a little bit. So if we think about the early 90s when we had Photoshop, Macromedia Flash, HTML, it was exploding on the market. And one of the challenges with kind of those three domains is you needed to be a subject matter expert in using those tools. So you had to know somebody who knew how to use those tools. 2000s come in, you had 3DS Max, Cinema 4D, Maya, and yet again, you needed to be a subject matter expert. And around that same time, we had the likes of Bebo, Facebook, Twitter, and I think there's this explosion in creativity. More and more people had like stories that they wanted to share. More and more people wanted to create creative content. And I think that was really the turning point where we had all of these very highly complex tools, but they were difficult to use. And all of a sudden we've seen this democratization of creative where you had WordPress that came in. All of a sudden you don't need to be a web designer. Use WordPress. Then you'd Squarespace, Space, you'd Wix, Shopify, HubSpot came along. That was very web orientated, but then you had these websites that also needed graphical and visual elements. Then you had Canva that came along only in 2013. And I think that's where I see the true advantage of automation. As I see, it's like democratizing creative and not needing to be a subject matter expert and to be able to self-serve. And that's very much how our team is orientated in HubSpot. Self-service systems is what drives us. And it's really empowering more to do less, empowering everyone to do more with less. And it's really like that force multiplier. So when you talk about the force multiplier and democratizing creative, were there specific problems that were appearing for HubSpot as a company, like from a marketing perspective that you were looking to solve with self-service systems? Yeah, I guess maybe yet again, just to set the stage as well for you. So looking at our last investor relations earnings call, we have about seven and a half thousand employees across HubSpot, across multiple offices across the world. Our creative group and our creative team represents probably about less than 2% of that. So we have a huge cohort of employees that we're an inbound company. We create a lot of content that have a huge demand for like creative. There's the obvious ones like the product team and the marketing team, but then there's also the less obvious ones like RevOps, customer support, customer success. There's a lot of teams that need to create content. And one of the challenges that we had is back in the day, you needed a creative partner to help you to create that content which meant we had a huge backlog of creative requests to create content that marketers and product teams couldn't self-serve. So they were faced with the choice of waiting until the very small creative team had availability or outsource it. And that's like where our team came in and there's a better way to do this. And we can build out systems to empower those teams to self-serve in a safe way. This is lining up with something I've been hearing more and more about across the creative operations community is that very often creative operations really just is often tied to marketing. We're here to produce creative for marketing, but as you highlighted, it's just not for marketing. It's creative is something that really should flow across every part of an organization because it's a representation of the brand and how that gets visually communicated or through other mediums. So you're serving marketing, product, customer support, every part of the organization. And HubSpot, I'm sure as many people listening know, is has been like growing phenomenally fast, as you said, up to seven and a half thousand employees. So at some point, there was a massive capacity issue at the just oversimplify. And lots of people in the organization wanted content, needed content. And for everyone, what they needed is the most important thing. And then creative operations is stuck in the middle because creative only has a certain amount of capacity. So you and the creative solutions team steps in and goes, okay, self-service systems. And it became a force multiplier. So can you talk us through what are some of the tools that you have in your self-service system? And let's talk about some of them specifically in what they've allowed, let's say, the marketing team to do is you talk about democratizing creative and what the benefit of that has been in terms of HubSpot's go-to-market strategy. 
To set the scene here, my group operates within marketing. So marketing is like our primary segment, who we serve. So when we think about like how, what's our mission and our mission is to empower people to self-serve, to create on-brand experiences, marketing is like our number one segment. And then we move to our vendors, then general hubspotters and creators themselves. So the kind of tools that we have from the marketing perspective, we serve them through web modules. We serve them through page templates. So if they want to create like a, a thank you page, an offer page, a webinar, we build the component parts of that so they can build their own experience or we offer them full page templates that they can just clone in one spot. We also offer our marketers email templates. So we do a lot of emailing and when people sign up to an offer, we'll send them an automated email. And so we have designed templates that have user experience, localization and accessibility best practices in mind. So our marketers can be rest, rest assured there. And then obviously we have all of our assets. So we have about 400 brand templates that's within Canva. So that's templates that have been designed by our creative team for some of the key things that happen every single day. Social posts, uh, product one cheaters, email heroes, podcast covers. We've built all of these templates in Canva that are on brand. And we have about a thousand users in that platform who produce about 21,000 designs in a given year. That's another offering that we can give to marketers. So let's just take a pause there. You mentioned like tools like Canva. And again, going back to self-service automation is something that is very, can be very accessible to any creative operations team. Canva is a widely known and used tool. So you've taken that tool. And again, you tell me, I'm making an assumption. There was no, was there any coding in setting up what you needed to provide in terms of those self-service capabilities? So the social media team can now just simply sounds like log into Canva, pull up a template, edit that for whatever they want to do on the social feed that they're going to be publishing on and hit go. So it doesn't become a request into the creative team. So can you just talk us through that a little bit? What was it like to set up Canva to do that? And is it as easy as I described? And then I assume it just allows those various teams to move faster. Yes. So it is as easy as you described. Um, and I hope our users would attest to that. And in terms of setting it up, it's one of the things that our team values very strongly is continuous improvement. And I think how we'd set it up initially is very different to where we are now. So we ran into a lot of challenges in terms of we'll create lots of designs, we'll throw them into a folder, and then what, how do teams access that folder? So now you're looking at access control lists. And then one of the other things that we need to factor in as well is how can we empower people to use these templates in a safe way? And by safe, what I mean there is how can we allow them to edit elements of a given template or design without actually impacting our brand governance? So in terms of setting up those templates, there are editable sections in some parts of some templates and some sections are completely locked out. For example, you can't change our logo. You can't change our brand colors, but you can change some of the text within those templates. What we did as well as part of that initial setup process is really have a look at what were all of the inbound creative requests? What were all the shoulder taps that we were getting? What, what were the common requests for stuff that creative needed to create? And let's templatize that. So that was going back to those social media posts, our podcast posts, and creating templates around that. So you now no longer need to reach out to a creative or a vendor to do that for you. We've made it in a very easy way. And we've structured our Canva now around use cases and specific teams. So if you're in a social media team, the assets that you're interested in are here, and you probably don't really care about what the video team might be interested in. So it's like we have segmented Canva in a way to really streamline that, that process to create content. I love that. And I just want to drill a bit deeper again to make this accessible for those that are listening that are non-technical and going automation, again, just sounds very complicated. So you've got a tool like Canva, and I'm just parroting back what you're telling me is you looked at a bunch of historical data in terms of what were the requests that we're getting over the last six months, year, whatever it might be. And what are the opportunities to create templates for those requests so they can just do it themselves? In terms of applying brand governance to templates, is there like a document that you have or who's involved in that process as you're, you and your team are looking at what's possible in a tool like Canva, 
creating a template and then making sure that it's going to adhere to brand guidelines. And did you find through that process you needed to ask for the brand guidelines to maybe be updated to take into account some of the things that your historical data may have been highlighting? Yeah, I think we work very closely with our brand development and enablement team. And one thing that we really try to focus on is the self-service piece. And that's really critical when thinking about automation, because it's very easy to overcomplicate things. And you might have a very good template offering, but if your marketer has to shoulder tap a creative and said, hey, I'm not quite sure how to use this. That defeats the purpose. So when whenever we build our templates out, we try to think about, so that's not only Canva, but for all of our other offerings, we, we try to think about it in a way like, is, how can we make this as simple as possible? And enablement is a huge factor of that. So if once we allow users to log into our Canva platform, we provide them with a, a large enablement suite as well. And most of our templates are relatively intuitive to use, but where they can't use them, they can lean into our enablement. And we have Loom videos set up so to show them how to navigate around it. But there have been some instances where back in the early days of Canva, it wasn't very complex what you could do. So we had to simplify elements of our branding and make it a bit easier to use in, in Canva. So I think one of the things just, just to bear in mind here is with, with Canva, it's really good at like runway work, work that kind of the shoulder tap type work, but it, it might not be the best at like highly complex creative campaigns. So it's, it's really figuring out of all the tools that you could potentially offer to people, like what's the strengths and leaning into those strengths. And for us, Canva is, it's a lot of the shoulder tap work and the, the run of the day work, run of the mill stuff that we do every day. Yeah, but that's so valuable. Like some of the things that are coming through as you're talking is one of the hallmarks of good self-service automation systems as you and your team have built at HubSpot is like simple and smart seem like hallmarks. Like you got to make it simple enough for the marketing end user, someone like me, who, if I had to open up Photoshop or something like that, I would immediately go, nope, uh, I'm not going to deal with this. It's way too complex. So you've made it really simple. But underneath, hidden in the background, is that that smart component, that intelligence of it is adhering to brand guidelines. And you've done the work of looking at that data, working with your brand team and figuring out how to properly design and configure these templates. So for that run of the mill work, as you called it, or shoulder tap work, love that term, people could just do it on their own and, and move faster. Did you find that, what was that process like in rolling it out? Did your, was it hard to get people to adopt this or were they just excited of, oh, I don't have to submit a request. I could just move quickly on my own. Or did it change the creative brief process or the request process? And did people then still make a request, but something in the system would redirect them to the self-service option. Okay, so I'll answer, that's a bit of a two-parter. So the first part is like with Canva in particular, we didn't actually have a huge barrier to entry. Folks were very keen to jump on because they were experiencing the pain of having to wait to get creative work done. And all of a sudden we had this turnkey system where we're like, you know what, you got this. It's built in such a way that you can be safe. You can manipulate and change what you want while still staying within our brand guidelines, off you go and self-serve. I've actually forgotten the second part of your question. Like how did the creative brief process change or like the request process? Was it people automatically just new to you self-service or would they make a request and your system would redirect them to, no, it's not going to the creative team. You could just go click here and go and do it on your own. I think... Initially, we had our own shoulder taps in terms of, can I self-serve? Can I use Canva for this? So there was a lot of education around this. Um, we did a, a fairly substantial onboarding process with all of our target users to introduce this new tool, show them how to use a template. We worked with Canva's onboarding team there. I think that really made a big difference. But as over the years, as our, our tools have matured, our creative intake process has actually changed. So one of the first questions that we ask uh, anyone who's submitting a request now is, can you self-serve? Because now we have a much richer set of options, um, be that like visual design, video, or on the website, um, we have so many options to offer users to self-serve. It's now the first question. And if you can self-serve, you shouldn't be submitting a creative request. Yeah, I could just imagine the evolution of where you started and where you are today and how that's changed the marketers or anybody's user experience of interacting with the creative team through creative operations is you can start with a very basic question. What do you want to do today? 
And then based on their response, you could direct them to, oh, here's a self-service system. Or as you're saying earlier, this sounds like a bit more of a complicated involved campaign. It actually should be a formal request and the creative team will get engaged in something like this. As you've built out your suite of self-service automation tools over the last few years at HubSpot, the company has obviously grown. So you do have more marketers, you have more people in your social media team. HubSpot is doing more in terms of putting content out there. What have you heard back from both the marketing team and the creative team in the benefits of the self-service system for them? Whether it's like data or just anecdotal from people doing the work or perhaps from leaders in the organization. Yeah, so one thing that my team has set up very well to do is we're incredibly data-driven and biannually we send out like an NPS type survey. So we target any user in any of the platform offerings that we have. And it's, it's like a continuous improvement initiative. We're trying to figure out what works really well with all the tools that we're offering you, what doesn't work so well, and all of those things feed back into our roadmaps. And in terms of like some of the surprising things of some of the things that we've offered is for the likes of creatives who we also support, we've rolled out tools like Midjourney, and we've seen phenomenal acceleration in their ability to come up and ideate with different really cool creative campaigns and ideate on those campaigns. We also piloted Midjourney with some marketers, and we've seen some really interesting early traction on that in terms of creating some mini ads. We are, following, we are finding that the click-through rates are, were going through, our cost per conversion was going down because more people were engaging with that, that AI type content. And then going back to our web modules from just getting some of the user feedback that we've received, we have marketers who create like multi-day seminars and multi-day webinars. And the feedback that we've received there is you've cut my time in half because I no longer have to worry about creating a landing page component by component. I can just clone one that you've created already. And I also know that when I clone that, it has accessibility in mind, user experience in mind, and brand best practices. So it, it, it alleviates a lot of burdens for them. And all they need to do is essentially change the text. So we have received um, a lot of feedback there. And I think from the leadership as well, particularly the creative leadership, by us providing a huge suite of self-service tools to our creatives and our marketers, it allows everyone to focus on the bigger things that matter. So they're no longer getting shoulder taps for smaller mundane work. It allows them to focus on bigger campaigns that really pull in the money. Wow. Yeah. So for the end users, it's about moving at speed with confidence. Nobody's going to get mad at me that I didn't use the right logo or the right font or anything like that. You've baked all that in into these self-service like tools and templates. And I could just go because I have an idea for a webinar I want to do for the perhaps a customer segment I'm responsible for. And I just want to, we all know that speed to market is key in today's noisy marketplace. So that's amazing. And then your comment about the creatives being able to, and this really goes back to your definition of creative operations, the creatives being able to do what creatives are great at doing, which is let me focus on the work that is actually real creative where we're given a blank sheet or we want to evoke something as ambiguous as a certain type of emotion with this announcement or product release or something like that and save me from getting into the weeds of like copy-paste work. And, and even on that copy-paste work, so obviously some of the other segments that we support, marketers being our number one, but we do support our creatives and our vendors. And on the creative side, we maintain and build a, a design system. So we have about 250 users uh, that use that design system. And every quarter we get about 17,000 insertions. So that's where a creative who's been embedded with a marketing team is able to leverage our components and help them create creative experiences really quickly because they can just essentially copy and paste from our component library. But it allows them to like really accelerate their time to create stuff for the teams that they're embedded with. Yeah, the headline statement that's coming through for me is self-service automation at HubSpot increases significantly increases on-brand content velocity across every part of the business. Absolutely. It's, it's huge for us as well. Like even back in the day, talking about the evolution of where we were to where we are now, like we, we've modified and changed so many things. So back in the day, like most teams, we had a giant Dropbox or a giant Google Drive. And that would be the number one source for all of our creative files. So when you wanted to work with a vendor, 
you had to find that file somewhere in this massive array of folders. Whereas now my team introduced a digital asset management system where, where we have, I think in total, something like 13,000 assets spread across 19 different collections. We have a dedicated vendor kit, which has a subset of those assets. It's about 3,000 assets in there. And we have 90 vendors in that collection. So they're not looking for files anymore. They're not trying to engage with creatives. Can you help me find this file? It's much more streamlined now so that when we onboard a creative vendor, who are you? Are you a video vendor? Are you a visual design vendor? And depending on that, we can give you access to the right assets at the right time. Yeah, again, it's it's simple and smart because we've all lived that experience. Like even for non-creative work, like Google Drive just becomes like a a graveyard and a <laughs> like just littered with like, how do I find anything in this? Because everything is named file or stuff or creative one, creative two, creative three. File. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's so many final files for each file. And I know for your damn system, use brand folder, which is part of this self-service stack that you have. You've got brand folder, you've got Canva, you've got tools like MidJourney, and I definitely want to get to talking a bit about AI in a couple of minutes. What I'd like to get you to comment on, if you could, is you mentioned data a few times. You use that historical data to inform initially where and what self-service capabilities you're going to build out in tools like Canva and things like that. And that historical data analysis, I'm sure, has been there constantly. You're using your NPS surveys to survey your users. And I love that notion because I think every creative ops team should be doing this because you are serving a diverse set of stakeholders and you need to know what's working, what's not working, what are some of their wishes and things like that. But in a lot of these systems, and you just mentioned like thousands of assets in your brand folder, Dan, Dan system, a thousand templates set up in Canva, and God knows how many variations and versions have been created as people are using these at scale and speed to huge benefit in terms of HubSpot's go-to-market strategy and ensuring like that consistent content on brand content across the whole org. But often we find we create a whole bunch of assets and nobody uses them or we don't actually hear how we might need to update the templates or maybe change the search, how search has been set up in brand folder, or those collections you talked about. What kind of data are you using from like a product mindset point of view go, what do we need to change and update or what are the things that we're seeing maybe people do that we had never even thought about? Yep. This is a great question, and I could actually probably spend about a week talking about it because it is such a, a massive topic. I think one thing I would say from the outset is we're not where we want to be. Um, and one of the biggest challenges I find within the creative space is our data is heavily siloed. So we have Brand Folder. It has a data set. I have Canva. That's a data set. We use our CMS. It's another data set. And I think one of the challenges that we have is trying to thread that needle between all of the systems. And that's something that, that when we were building out and scaling these creative platforms, we thought about what sort of questions might we want to answer in the future and how can we change the data backend or, or put in place some, some structure that will allow us to answer some of these questions. So to give you a concrete example of that, with both our brand voter and Canva platform, we have set them up through SSO. And as part of that SSO login process, we're passing through the user's email and their department. So now we have this rich data set where we can see not only do we know what assets are being used most frequently, but which departments are using them most frequently. And that's interesting when you see that dichotomy of all the different platforms that we offer. And if you have this thread of understanding who the user is and what department is, now we can see holistically of, of all the platforms that we're offering, who are our power users? So if we want to really engage, if we know a user is using every single one of our offerings, like how can we take them on board our product building process? Because we know they use all of our products, we would like to try this thing out anew. What do you think? And that's another approach that we take in terms of taking users on that journey with us as we build out uh, new products and offerings. One of the questions that you said there was how have we found out anything interesting and how has that changed how we thought about things? A lot of things have cropped up for us. So we have on the website side, 
we have about 40 component web modules. So if you think about a given website page, it's made up of component pieces. And that could be like a CTA. It could be like a, an event calendar or whatever it might be. So we currently provide about 40 of them. And as we're building out more and more components, we put in a tracking element and we launched a whole new suite of modules recently. And we noticed that they weren't being used. And we're like, why are they not being used? And as part of that, the data never lies. So you can ask users questions, but the data never lies. So what we did as part of that kind of investigation was we had a look at every single page that was published and saved on HubSpot.com. And we had a look at what were the trends and what we noticed, and this is probably very true to a lot of your listeners, is marketers and creatives are very knowledge rich, but they're time poor. And what we noticed with the data was users were not creating their pages in a component fashion, like a Lego brick fashion, because they hadn't got time. So what they were doing is just cloning the last page that the last marketer created and changing it. So that then opened us up to maybe we should think about full page templates. And as a result of looking into that data, we now offer a full page template that, that work in parallel with the individual component pieces. So you further simplified it because people... Am I understanding this correctly? Like the 40 components are great for some individuals, but that might be a little bit too much to swim through in building the page. And instead he said, the data showed you if we build certain types of full page templates, that'll allow them to move quicker and still give them the option of using those 40 individual page modules. Yep. So essentially, it's back to like marketers are under so much pressure to build things really quickly. So if you yep. think about what we did is of all the pages that were published on .com last year, what was the common theme? And there were things like thank you pages, offer pages. So you're going to provide someone with an ebook. This is an offer page. And then there might be a thank you page once they sign up to that. It could be an event workshop. So we took that theme, we took then our modules and we built full page templates based on our modules that kind of fit into those commonly created pages. And we then offered that to marketers. And obviously we're tracking, now tracking how many times are those pages cloned on top of how many times the modules being used. That's amazing. And going back to your original comment to this topic is nobody's ever where they want to be with the data. You <laughs> and I have had conversations about data and we're, we're both data nerds and nobody is ever where they want to be. But I've long had so much admiration and just love for what you and your team are doing with data. You've, you've used this term called asset intelligence. I want to dig into that, but I just want to make one comment for the listeners. Like Mark talked about like the data doesn't lie. And I think often creative operations leaders pull everybody into the room when it feels like the process needs to be updated. And every we start this whiteboard session of, Hey, Susan, what do you think the process is and how it works? How, hey, Bob, how do you think it is? And you go on down the line. And what you end up with at the end of the session is this beautiful workflow chart on the board of, yeah, that's our process. That's how it works. But it's almost like we're all in the room and it's we're trying to create this artificial perfection, right? Like it's the Instagram version of workflow. And you said data doesn't lie. And I love the fact that you actually look at the data and go, no, that's not actually how we work. So it allows you to call that out or go verify and go, this is how we actually work. Going down more into leveraging data and asset intelligence, what are like what are some of the ways in which that data benefits the creative team? Has it have they been surprised by how certain people are using or not using certain templates? And has that led to creating making changes to either the templates, as you said, you changed the way you're approaching web or even like changes to how the brand might be represented on the templates. Yeah, it's had a pretty instrumental impact. So what my team does is once a month, we meet with a creative studio and we give them a readout of the data points across all the various platforms. And what that gives them is a better understanding of the utilization of all of their hard work. How is it actually being disseminated across the various departments at HubSpot? Who's using what most? And it also helps us identify opportunities where there might be a gap or things that we could do better. So another example of that is we spend a significant chunk of change on stock photography platforms, another data set. So looking at that, of all of the downloads that we made with a given platform in a year, 
let's look at the metadata. Let's have a look at the common themes of the types of imagery that users are purchasing and compare and contrast that with our homegrown stock photography library that we've made ourselves at HubSpot, which is about 3,000 assets. So how, what are we underserving? And if we were to do a new photo shoot, we know this is what where the demand is and we know where the gap is in our own photography. So how can we plug that gap in upcoming photo shoots? So I think that's where kind of data comes in really handy there as well. And then also when you're doing things like evolving your brand, which is continuous or doing like a full rebrand, which we did a few years ago, really understanding if you want to move quickly, do you need to rebrand absolutely everything? Or can we really delve into the data and, and tell us like, what are our users actually using? And maybe focus on that first and everything else is peripheral. So that's where it's really come in. That stock photography one is brilliant. Like how you're using data there, because over time, you're going to, I assume you're achieving two things. One is you're, again, giving marketers and other end users what they want more quickly. So simple and smart instead of having to go and search through, I think you use Getty for your stock photography, like yep. HubSpot will have it. And I imagine you're starting to make some of those connections between like templates in like Canva and your stock photo library and things like that. So you'll be able to more easily surface that and go, okay, here's five photos that probably fit what you're looking for. Pick one of them instead of having to think about it too much. Yep. And then just the cost savings, which I'm sure your finance team loves and whoever owns the budget for stock photography. <laughs> Yeah, stock photography is just one element. There, there are huge, yeah. once you start looking at the data, there are, there's huge cost savings to be made. So I'll give you another concrete example of one of the other offerings that we noticed marketers were creating a lot was ebook templates. And they were typically in Adobe Illustrator or some proprietary Adobe format. So we noticed that over time, we had a lot of marketers who, had, who were paying for the full Adobe Creative Suite package price which is a significant chunk of change when in reality, they're only using a very small element of that product suite, which we could templatize. So we then introduced ebook templates into Canva. And all of a sudden we were able to cross-reference of all of our Adobe suite users who are also Canva users. And then let's just double check, do you still need Adobe when we can self-serve you through Canva? And we were able to make significant cost savings on our Adobe spend through just looking at the data. That's, again, another great example. Before we turn to talking a bit about AI, I'd like to pick your brains, if I could, about something I call glocalization. There's more and more brands that are, they might start off, everyone starts off in one initial country, but then they're scaling on a global basis. HubSpot certainly has done that. You operate, I think, pretty much in most, if not all corners of the world. And over the last little bit in talking to people across the community, especially those folks in Europe, one of the challenges they're coming up with is uh, coming up against is effectively leveraging self-service systems. And a couple of people have mentioned Canva and things like that to deal with the, this localization opportunity and challenge, which is we want to have, we've got a global brand, we want to have templates, we, and we also want to allow in-market teams to move faster and to be able to adapt those templates to their local market. So has that been something you've had to think through because you do operate on a global basis? And what are some of the sort of lessons learned through that process for you and the team at HubSpot? Yeah, it's definitely a huge factor for us. As companies expand into kind of new addressable markets, it comes with its, its own concerns. So for HubSpot, we have about 194,000 customers across 120 countries. And some of those countries have very unique cultural aspects that we need to factor in. So in terms of like how we help our users within brand folder, for example, we have a dedicated localization or dedicated localization collection where if you happen to be working in France, Germany or Middle East Africa, wherever it is, um, HubSpot operates on, on some of the core languages. And what we try to do is for every asset that we create, um, we try to create a localized version of that. So if you think about our, our product offering, um, and you're creating um, sales pitch decks, sales decks, or you're creating customer support documentation, you have product screenshots. Each of those screenshots need to be localized into the core languages. And if you had that in somewhere like Dropbox or Google Drive, it'd be impossible to find. 
Whereas what we do is we pull all those assets into brand folder and we structure them in a way that you can narrow your assets down by a particular products, a particular feature, and then what language do you want it in? So for us, it makes our, our users in those regions, it makes it very easy for them to find the localized assets that they need. We also work very closely with our localization team on some of our vendor partnerships. So we're doing a lot of work with Canva at the moment to see, can we help put in like localization strings into some of our templates so that they can be auto-localized in certain regions? That's a work in progress. And then it also goes back to that that data piece of really understanding, particularly when it comes to imagery and photography, knowing that if we wanted to do a lot more of marketing campaigns in Japan or the Middle East, the types of photography that works really well in North America does not work very well in those other regions. And it's really working with those users to understand like what's the gap and, and how do we plug that gap. Another thing going back to that reporting element is we, my team takes localization. It's, it's one of our facets of like accessibility and inclusion. So we're able to report of a given collection, how many of those assets are localized. And then we can then use that data to work with our creative partners to say that there's a bit of a gap in localization of these types of assets. Okay, that's that's incredibly helpful. Thank you. Before we move on to, I just want to ask one more question related to data, not necessarily data, but more like, how do you, as that the head of this team that's built all these self-service automation tools, how do you measure success? What do you hold yourself to account to? Is it the positive feedback from the NPS scores? Is it knowing that marketing is able to move this much faster or do... X number more of pieces of content out in market. What are your like personal or team KPIs that you go, we're succeeding or here's yep. where we need to improve? It can be very challenging going back to that threading the needle, but I always bring it back to what's the story that we need to tell. And for us, we try to simplify it. If this is a common theme that you might've picked up by now is try keep it simple. And for us, we have three key segments that we target marketers, vendors, and creatives. And for each of those segments, what story do we want to tell? So for marketers, for example, is our goal there is to empower them to get things done without the need for an in-house creative partner. So if that was true, how would we objectively prove that? We'd prove that by a reduction in external creative vendor spend. We'd prove it via an increase in adoption of um, self-service tools. So how many users are logging onto those platforms? Are our designs published going up? Are our design shares going up? How often are our users engaging with our platform? And the difference between a, a registered user versus an active user. So are, do we have lots of users that aren't doing anything? Or are those users actually engaging with the platform, downloading assets, sharing assets? When we think about our vendors, for that's we want to streamline the vendor experience, so giving them access to the relevant source material to help them deliver on-brand experiences. So how do we prove that? How many vendors do we have registered on the platforms? Are they downloading and engaging with assets? And then back to the creative side of things, because what we're trying to do there is facilitate and help them collaborate better and also make informed decisions around asset intelligence. So if that was true, how could we objectively prove that? And that's things like making sure that we're providing them with asset utilization uh, metrics that they can then make changes on how they're on how they're approaching their work. So we try to break it down that way in terms of it's more around plays. And if this is the play, how, if that was true, what data would we need to use that? So it's quite a series of different data sets that we use to help guide us that we know they're going, that we're going the right direction. As opposed to one single individual metric, which is very hard. Yeah, I, I think it's usually hard, except for things like revenue-based. It's it's always hard, but it's I think you're looking at a really rich set of different KPIs and metrics there, and both quantitative and qualitative user data, which is always valuable to do. And I think all those things, again, they're doable. Like it's, it's not necessarily click a button and it's easy, but that data can be accessible, especially in these self-service systems, as you've highlighted a couple of times. And you're really looking at data through the lens of, are we having an impact on the business, both the people we're serving and what they're trying to do to move the business forward, get more marketing campaigns out there, move quicker put more content out there from our customer support team that will be valuable to retaining customers. All this ultimately does tie back to 
the company's ability to grow and maintain both their top line revenue as well as their bottom line revenue. Absolutely. So let's talk about AI as we're wrapping up here. AI is on top of everyone's minds. You mentioned (laughs) MidJourney as a tool that you've been experimenting with. And I love MidJourney as, and you also said it as an ideation tool, both for creatives and non-creatives as a way of sparking the imagination for what something could be. I love using it as a non-creative, as a way of communicating with creatives for here's the picture I'm seeing in my head. I can't actually do it in Photoshop. I can't draw, but now I can output something and give it to a, a true creative. So they have an idea as to the direction I'm thinking of. And creatives themselves can use it in a similar way. But I find one of the issues with mid-journey is like prompting is actually something that most people aren't good at. And I've been thinking about this idea lately, like prompting IQ. I think copywriters will be good at putting in like prompts related to text-based output or describing a photo. And I think somebody with a photo or video background knowledgeable in Photoshop will be good at putting in like the technical components of a prompt because you can get like really rich output from tools like MidJourney and others. How do you think of applying that self-service automation mindset to like prompting and making it easier? Because I do think it needs to get easier. It doesn't have the right it doesn't have an accessible user experience right now, for, especially for non-creatives. Yeah, this, is a, this has been a hot topic for us. And there's probably a bit of background that I should give you here as well. So when we first decided to come up with the idea of let's try mid-journey, one thing that we wanted to avoid was just aimless testing. Let's just use it and see what happens because that wouldn't really tell us if it was a valuable tool for us or not. So we adopted this hypothesis-driven development, let's call it, where we... What we want to validate here, and for us, we had things like we wanted to validate whether it would speed up our time to market, whether it would allow us to get much better and faster in the the ideation side of things. But obviously, as you now know, one of the key things that we focus on is is self-service. And one of the things that we wanted to validate is, could this truly be a self-service tool? And how would we prove or disprove that? So when we ran out our pilot, we we selected some creatives and we selected some marketers and we took, we split that group in half. And what we did is we gave one group a lot of enablement. We showed them what good prompting looks like and how to do it well. And with the other group, we gave them nothing because we wanted to really test, could this really be a true self-service tool? And what came out of that experiment was, to your point, we find looking through the data that most of our users took on average anywhere between six and eight iterations to get to a point where I could maybe use this content. And we also found with our test group who we gave no enablement, they really struggled. We found that our creatives were able to prompt much better because they speak in a very visually rich way. Our marketers who aren't used to speaking in that visually rich way found it a a little bit more challenging. So what we also did as part of this experiment is we then created a prompt library. We created the new collection within brand folder. And we wanted to show users, here's what good could look like. Here's the type of image that you could reach for if you use this prompt as a starting point. And then we found that we we got a lot more traction when people started copying and pasting those prompts as a starting point. And those prompts, those pre-prompts that we provided were incorporating things like who we are as a brand, what our brand colors are. So that when users were creating output, it was as close to brand governance as possible, if that makes sense. And I know people listening are going to be asking this and wondering about this, like the outputs from MidJourney, does that actually end up in production work or is it really more for, as you said, ideation and just like creative brainstorming? We didn't didn't want to set that kind of hard rule initially. We wanted to see where it could go and we didn't put that constraint on it. We did actually end up using some of the outputs on various pieces and various AI articles on .com, and it actually performed uh, very well. We also used it in some of the ad copy, and yet again, it, it performed very well. But what we realized was the implications of using MidJourney far outweighed the benefits. So those implications particularly were diversity, stereotypical imagery, DI and B yeah. had to be continuously corrected anatomical inaccuracies, uh, three rows of teeth, 18 fingers, things like that. And what we realized was it's a much better tool, certainly back then, which was I think 5.1, 5.2. It was a lot better tool for like creatives to get the creative juices going. 
versus a marketer who's looking to create publishable outputs because journey to get to that publishable output could have been five, six, seven, eight iterations. So when we looked at the data, it, we realized that people were spending more time thinking about and iterating on the content rather than actually using it. That's interesting. I would love to see three rows of teeth. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> sounds horrifying, like for the next Total Recall remake or something like that is, is where they should use that. Actually, yeah, that would probably be pretty good for sci-fi movies to use Midjourney to think what monsters or things like that could look like. And I think you're hitting on something important with AI is like there's so many interesting capabilities coming out, but the accessibility is still not there. And I feel like in general, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk and there's a little bit of action, but until the accessibility and gets there, and as we've been talking about, even with something like Midjourney, which is like fairly easy to use and that you could just start typing in words and getting images, but to actually use it in a valuable way is still really hard and it's limited to certain people. And so as you think about AI more broadly beyond tools like Midjourney, what are some of the things that you and your team are like, thinking about in terms of leveraging AI when it comes to self-service automation? Or, or do you feel like it's really still too early in terms of the maturity of the products? I don't necessarily think so. I think our approach is we, we will run pilots. And one of the really big filters that we, we run any pilot through is like self-service. Because if we have to end up spending more time enabling folks how to use these products, it's not for us because that's just going to slow us down. But moving away from the generative in terms of like visual output type AI tools, I think there there are a huge collection of other tools that, that could be very useful. And something that we're actually looking at next, and we're working on it right now, is going back to that 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 space of where we operate, where we have all of these owned tools in terms of our web modules, our email templates, our full page templates. We then have, on the other side of this world, we have our Getty platform, our brand folder platform, our Canva platform. So we're, we're talking about at any one given time, a user could be exposed to tens of thousands of assets. And that can be very paralyzing in the sense that I need to create content today. I need to create it really quickly, but you're giving me so many options. And what we're looking at doing next is using AI to help build a recommendation engine based on a user's context. So really understanding I'm a marketer, I'm doing a new product launch, and it's going to be in Asia Pacific. Based on that information, I know what product it is. So I know what product logos to use. I know it's Asia Pacific, so I can automatically narrow down my brand folder assets to only give assets that work re perform really well in that region. And then if it's a product launch, I also know what type of web pages work quite well for that for event seminars, product launch pages, content offer pages, and thank you pages. Now, instead of presenting the user with lots and lots of options, we can narrow that down very quickly. And some of the technologies that we're looking at for that is leveraging RAG, which is using augmented kind of semantic search to really narrow down lots of potential options down to a very small subset. That again, simple and smart, you've got all these components and now you're going to put this, it almost sounds like you're transitioning from like that because you're obviously leveraging, you have been and you're leveraging a lot of data, but this is almost like putting that layer of intelligence on top of all these self-surface tools. And as you said, just it should just be simple and easy for somebody to go, here's ultimately what I want to do and start to almost pull this canvas of, okay, here's all the different assets that you should probably select from instead of going through a sea of them. Just really dead simple. I love that. That's amazing. And the one thing I want to make clear for the listeners, you haven't used terms like API or programming or anything like that. Even when you're <laughs> talking about the web modules, that's something you've built in HubSpot system, which has a really rich and robust CMS system. And mm -hmm. everyone out there has something that is a CMS system, right? It could be HubSpot. It could be something else, but it's not like this is unique to your team program these modules. You built these modules in HubSpot CMS, which is even a non-technical user like myself could do. Yeah, I think it's probably important to call out like the Creative Solutions Group is made up of about 25 folks. So we do have developers in there. We have designers, we have UX folks, we have project and program managers, but we are building things with ease of use in mind. So you don't have to be a subject matter expert in web development to create a web page. 
So anyone can do this. And I think the running theme here throughout this podcast for your users listening is keep it simple. There's an element of Occam's razor here where it's, if you have lots of different options, like the simplest tends to be the best. And I, I think that's something to bear in mind because I've seen time and time again, teams tripping up over themselves, overcomplicating things where really you just need to start out simple, take that first step and then slowly layer on in your complexity. Yeah, and that's a good segue as we as we wrap up here and get to the final question. It, it sounds if I'm a creative operations leader on day one, I th- and I just listened to this episode, I think what I'm taking away in terms of what would Mark do, and you tell me if I've got this right or wrong and or modify it, is look at historical data first. What are the requests? Where are they coming from? What is, how often are we able to deliver on time? What are the things we have to say no to because we have capacity issues? And what are the areas of commonality? And then build a picture of what are the potential quote unquote templates or self-service options that we can build? And then I think step two is, do we currently have tools that we use, whether it's Canva or anything else, where we could build those templates and start to streamline some of this so that our clients, internal clients can move faster and do more. And then just continue that loop and continue to look at the data. What are people using, not using, what is not getting served and where do we can just keep looking for opportunities to provide self-service options? hundred percent. The only thing I would add to that is where we started was pick a segment. We serve across 19 user departments and vendors as well outside. If, if we took the approach of let's try satisfy everyone at the same time, we were, we were going to fail. Um, but what we started with, let's start with marketing first. Let's really understand who your users are and what their problems are like at a very deep level. Get yourself into their shoes. So what's a day in the life of a social media campaigner? What's a day in the life of a videographer? Like really understand your users, understand the problems that they face and solve for each segment at a time and then slowly move on to a new segment. And almost like you're building up your tooling suite over time. But definitely, I think what made a big difference to us is like being segment focused and really understanding what problems does this particular segment have and how can we make their day better and how can we prove that we've made it better? You know what, Mark, that is music to my ears because good creative operations leaders root themselves in what is a business need as opposed to our job is to produce stuff and do it faster and just do it more cost effectively. All those things are important, but it's really in service of the business. And that is, you've got this beautiful like product like product management mindset to the way you approach things. And it's not about boiling the ocean. Again, it's not let's pile everybody into the room and give us your wish list of everything and then getting frustrated that we can't do everything all at once. It's start where you are, take the first step and start to deliver value and just keep building from that. And pretty quickly, it'll it'll just feed on itself. Like you and your team have certainly done and your users at HubSpot have experienced. Absolutely. Yep. All right, cool. All right. Final question we ask every guest is you've shared a lot of wisdom and insight today, no doubt going to be incredibly valuable to the audience. Who is somebody you would like to hear from on a future episode of the Creative Ops podcast? Great question. And I've been trying to mull this over uh, for quite some time. I don't have a specific person, but I have a domain. So throughout my career, I've noticed that orgs like RevOps, product ops, they all have an analytic capability or contingents that's, that's based into them, with them. So they, they'll have a dedicated analytics team that help them really understand how the product's being used, how their marketing campaign's been going. But what I have yet to see, and I hope the future of creative operations goes this way, is bringing in business and creative intelligence as a concept and as a domain into that space. So I would love to hear from anyone who is working in that space of bringing in business intelligence as an arm and a capability of creative operations. You're certainly like acting as a model in HubSpot by (laughs) extension is acting as a model for that, just for the way that you're using data to inform what you're building. And I 100% agree with you. I think most creative operations teams are data deficient and it leads to so many unnecessary problems around what do we actually need to do? And I think, so yes, 100% agree. We did do an episode recently 
recently with somebody starting to talk about metrics and I think that's turning into an ongoing series talking about data and metrics in the world of creative operations. And I think ultimately it's going to help creative operations teams really better align with what the business needs because data allows you to root yourself in the language of the business that every other department is talking about. Absolutely. All right, Mark, thank you so much for doing this today. I got a ton out of it. I'm sure the audience will as well. And I look forward to a future episode where we could get an update on all the other self-service capabilities that you've built out. And especially as you continue down the AI path, I think what you described is very interesting, likely going to be very valuable. And that intelligence layer that you're putting on top, I think that's something that other organizations, other creative ops teams should be thinking about as well, because it's going to allow you to, your teams to move faster in terms of go-to-market. Thanks for having me, Nish, and thanks for doing the, the good work of spreading the word of creative operations. All right. Thanks so much. That's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to please do three things. Number one, head over to creativeops.fm and sign up for that companion newsletter. Number two, whatever your favorite podcast player is, please hit subscribe. Search for Creative Ops, all one word, Creative Ops Podcast. Make sure you don't miss the next episode. And remember, number three, this isn't just my journey of curiosity. This is our journey of curiosity about all things Creative Ops. So if you've got a question or maybe a different perspective about what you heard today, or maybe you just want to share something that you're curious about, drop me a line at nish at creativeops.fm. Thanks so much, and I look forward to catching you at the Creative Ops water cooler for next week's episode.